So friends, I want to get stuck right in. Welcome to those that are online. It's really good to have you with us here this morning again. Um, today I continue, friends, our journey that we've been taking over the last couple of weeks called Reframed. And the question that I want to ask is, have you been enjoying the journey? Absolutely. I've absolutely, once again, I can say this is an epic journey. Every preaching journey we take, friends, is an epic journey. I've absolutely loved what has been shared. But can I say, friends, I'd absolutely love the way it's been shared. The way it's been shared. How truth has been applied. You know, the, the, the New Testament tells us that Jesus is coming back for a bride that is with, without spot and without blemish. Without spot and without blemish. The church, the bride of Christ. So guess, friends, how we get to become without spot and without blemish. Well, we don't apply spiritual makeup. Maybe brides on your wedding day, you applied makeup, and that was great. But Jesus is not wanting a bride that is made up. We, friends, don't get to do cosmetic surgery, but rather we get to do heart surgery. And that's what this series has been all about, is God's truth being applied in my heart, in your heart, hopefully, and me being confronted with truth and making the right choice. Hebrews 4.12 tells us that. It says that the word is like a two-edged sword. And guess what? That word, that two-edged sword has been going to work in my life, and I trust it's been going to work in your life. So what is the premise of this journey? Well, I'm practical, so I like to look at practical examples, friends. Last year, I had to start wearing these. All of a sudden, at the age of 45, I discovered my arms were becoming too short. They tend to shrink the older you get. And so these things help lengthen your arm, shorten your arm, apparently, or lengthen your arm. But you see what happens, friends, is when I don't wear these, and I look at the words on my page over here, guess what happens? It becomes all very hazy. It becomes indistinct, friends. It becomes distorted and inexplicable. But when I put my glasses on, what happens? Well, my perspective changes. All of a sudden, the words I can see and the words I can understand. It brings clarity, as Steve said. You see, the words on the page didn't change, friends. The words on the page didn't change. But how I perceived those words changed. And that's exactly what this journey is about. Is looking at different aspects in life, my life, your life, and viewing it through the lens of, and we'll get to have a look at it now. Viewing it through the lens and understanding that when we view it the way God and Jesus wants us to view that, all of a sudden what was indistinct becomes clear and there is understanding. So if you're anything like me, these lenses, not only on my glasses, but the lenses of my understanding and the revelation of my heart needs to be cleaned often. So turn with me quickly. I just want to share two quick elements to reframing before we get stuck into this subject of reframing the impossible. Two, 1 Corinthians 2. I believe this is important just to lay this down as a foundation for reframing. 1 Corinthians 2, verses 1 to 5 and 10 to 12. It speaks about God's secret wisdom. It 
It says, when I came to you, dear brothers and sisters, I didn't use lofty words and impressive wisdom to tell you God's secret plan. In other words, how to view things differently. For I decided that while I was with you, I would forget everything except Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. I came to you in weakness, timid and trembling. And my message and my preaching were very plain. Rather than using clever and persuasive words, I relied only on the power of the Holy Spirit. I did this so that you would not trust in human wisdom, but in the power of God. And we get to, we're going to get to see what the power of God is. If we drop down to verse 10, it says, But it was to us that God revealed these things, i.e. the secret wisdom, that by His Spirit, for His Spirit searches out everything and shows us God's deep secrets. No one can know a person's thoughts except that person's own spirit. And no one can know God's thoughts except God's own spirit. And we have received God's Spirit, not the world's Spirit, so we can know the wonderful things that God has freely given us, friends. And that speaks to me about a reframing process. You see, reframing, it happens through the gospel, friends. It's the gospel that reframes. It's not my clever words. It's not your training or your education. It is the gospel, Jesus, that reframes. John 1 tells us that in the beginning was the Word, capital W. The Word was with God. The Word was God. John 1 verse 14 tells us that the Word, once again, capital W, came down as man, i.e. as Jesus. John 1 17, it says Jesus came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Grace, the ability to be able to Impart, not just impart, but activate the gospel to go to work in my life. And the truth. You see, Jesus came down not to become the gospel. He came down as the gospel, the W, the word from the Father. And we need to understand that, friends. It is the gospel, i.e. Jesus, that reframes us. And then we see here that it's the gospel that reframes, but it's the Holy Spirit that reveals it's the gospel that refrains, reframes, sorry, but it's the Holy Spirit that reveals. Who else can know God's secrets, i.e., the gospel, other than the Spirit of God? And it's the Spirit of God who takes the, the, the secrets of God and makes them known to you and I. And as we go through this process, we need to understand, friends, that that is what is at work as we are preaching. And that's why I'm saying I love what has been shared, not just how it has been shared, but what has been shared. Because it's the gospel, friends, that is the solution to every problem. It's the gospel that reframes. Not my experience, not your experience. Not my clever words and hopefully not your cleverness. But it's God's word that reframes. So let's pray, because John 16 says this Holy Spirit, Warrant, is the God. He guides us unto all truth. And so if anything this morning, we need the Holy Spirit to guide us, amen? So let's pray for his help. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are with us this morning. 
I thank you that you have us on a journey. We don't just talk about these preaching journeys as a description, but you literally, you have us on a journey, friends, making us more like Christ every day, every day. And so, Holy Spirit, you are the spirit of truth. But not only are you the spirit of truth, but you are the guide into all truth. And so I pray this morning, would you help me to share accurately, hopefully, <laughs> and would you help us to hear and submit to the guidance and the leading of the Holy Spirit? Amen. So friends, what I want to speak about this morning, Scott mentioned it, is I want to speak about reframing the impossible. Reframing the impossible. Won't you turn with me to the book of Numbers? Just a bit of a backstory. Um, I was listening to a, a podcast um, about two weeks ago, three weeks ago, and the speaker shared this verse or this context, and immediately it dropped in my heart. I don't know if you've had that experience when, when, when you know, you're reading God's Word or, or, or you're hearing someone speak God's Word, and all of a sudden it's like that phrase, that verse, it had a weightiness to it. And boom, this idea dropped in my, well, not the idea, but the verse dropped in my heart. And this is what I'd love to share with you this morning. Numbers 13, verses 25 to 33. The context quickly is Moses has selected 12 spies. And he is tasked the 12 spies with going into the promised land, into the promises of God. What God has promised his people, go in, scout out the land and come back and tell us, give us strategy, give us the way in. What must we be looking out for? What can we be looking forward to? What, what, what must we be careful of? What is the game plan? How are we going to do this? And what I love or what I find interesting here is that it was the 12 leaders of the tribes that were selected to be the spies because that has significance as well for those of us that are in this leadership team. And this is the report they give when they come back. The scouting report, Numbers 13, verse 25. It says, after exploring the land for 40 days, the men returned to Moses, to Aaron, and the whole community of Israel at Kadesh in the wilderness of Paran. They reported to the whole community what they had seen and showed them the fruit that they had taken from the land. This was their report to Moses. We entered the land that you sent us to explore, and it is indeed a bountiful country. Amen. We're looking forward to it. It's a land that is flowing with milk and honey. Here is the kind of fruit it produces. But, and immediately we start seeing something of a framing happening here. But the people that are living there are powerful, and their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants, oh my goodness there, the descendants of Anak. The Amalekites live in the Negev, and the Hittites, the Jebusites, and the, Mar the, the, the Amorites live in the hill country. The Canaanites live along the coast and the Mediterranean Sea and all along the Jordan Valley. But Caleb tried to quieten the people as they stood before Moses. Let's go at once to take the land, he said. We can certainly conquer it. But the other men who had explored the land with him disagreed. They said, there's no chance. We can't go up against them. They are stronger than we are. So they spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites. 
The land we traveled through, the land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. All the people, remember, this is the promise that God had given them, the promised land. All the people who we saw were huge. We even saw giants there. The descendants of Anak, next to them, we felt like grasshoppers. And that's what they thought too. Numbers 14, verse 9. Caleb and Joshua reply again. They say, do not rebel against the Lord, and don't be afraid of the people of the land. They are only helpless prey to us. They are only helpless prey to us. The ESV version, it says it describes them. They say that they are like bread. They are like bread to us, scuffed in. It's a lunchbox for us, guys. It's a lunchbox. They have no protection. But the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid. And so, friends, in that context, you see two frames there, don't you? You see the way the leaders are framing God's promises. It won't happen. It's impossible. We will never get in. And as you hear their dialogue, their, their, their dialogue it's like it gets, there are some, some giants. Now, all of a sudden, they're all giants. And not only are they all giants, but now, whoa, when I consider myself, he's a giant. I'm a grasshopper. So you see the progression, friends, of how they are framed. And then you see Joshua and Caleb. And they're like, no, don't you guys get it? The Lord has spoken and said, this is going to happen. It's going to happen. We can't do this. He is with us. Forget the giants. Look through the giants. I find it significant, friends, that it was the leaders. Because the consequence of a bad report and bad leadership was that a whole generation, a whole generation didn't walk into the promises of God because of a bad leadership and bad report. And leaders amongst us here this morning, take note. Your leadership counts. The way you lead counts. Because potentially, depending on how you lead, God's promises, and this is not a heavy, but God's promises will skip over an entire generation. You see, the nation of Israel did go into the promised land, but it wasn't that generation. It was the next generation. Joshua and Caleb got to be part of it. But every single other person died before they went into the promised land. So to the leaders here this morning, be careful how we lead. You see, there are two camps there, friends. Those that see the giants and hence the, imp the impossibility, and there are those that see the promise and hence the opportunity. Those that see the giants and the impossibility, and there are those that see the promise we want to continue with the peace, the presence of God. And they see the possibility. And my question to you this morning is, which camp are you in? Which camp are you in? Because if you are in a situation at the moment where you are seeing a giant and you are seeing the impossible, I trust that this morning you will move out of that camp and you will come and set up camp where you see the possible. 
and you see the opportunity. So it would be a miss, friends. Let's turn to 1 Samuel 17. When we're talking about overcoming giants, well, which, which Bible story comes to mind to you, for you? David and Goliath. So it would be a miss if we don't go and have a look at that and see, well, what is it that David understood? Once again, another situation where Goliath was morning and evening getting up and framing a position. And the whole nation, under that prescriptive framing, were responding in fear and not moving. And then we see one young man, David, come and reframe things for everybody to see and for it all to become very apparent. So 1 Samuel, turn with me to 1 Samuel. We're not going to read the whole text because it's a really long story and I don't have the time. But if we just paraphrase quickly, if you don't know the story, so there's this giant, there's the Philistine army. For 40 days, Goliath gets up in the morning and the evening and is taunting the nation of Israel. He's taunting the army. He's saying, choose one person among you to come and fight me. And for how many days, 40 days, there is no one that steps up because everyone is fearful. And then we see Jesse send his son David. And David is not part of the army. David is a shepherd. And his task is not to come and fight, but rather to come and feed his brothers, who should be doing the fighting. And we see David get stirred. And ultimately, we see David step up. And this is part of the dialogue between David and Goliath. 1 Samuel 17. We're going to read verses 45 to 47. It says, David said to the Philistine, you come to me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. Today the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you and cut off your head, and then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with the sword and not with the spear. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. And as I read that, friends, verse 46 dropped into my heart. And I want you to, I'm going to read it again, and I want you to pay particular attention to verse 46. It says, today the Lord will conquer you. And I will get to cut off your head. Today, the Lord will conquer you. And I will get to cut off your head. Do you see there, friends, the difference? Do you see the framing that David's life had? Because God had saved him and the sheep from the lion and the bear, those situations and circumstances had framed David's perspective. And when he got up to fight the giant, he said, you are no different to those things over there. Today, the Lord will conquer you, just like he did previously, when there were those things that came to rob and kill and destroy, i.e. the lions and the bears. And because the Lord has already conquered you, I get to cut off your head today. 
Take note. Hear this this morning, friends. I believe there are those here this morning that are fighting giants that need to hear this. Hear this. Because there's a significant difference between me standing up in my strength to try and fight the giant and me standing up knowing that the giant has already been, been destroyed. The giant has already been vanquished. Because my fight then becomes totally different. I don't stand up to fight the giant. I stand up, friends, to fulfill what Jesus has already done in my life. And we'll get to some of that. It's very different, friends. Understand that Jesus has conquered, and so we get to live from a place of victory. Know that God has already conquered all. Every giant in every situation. I don't want to make small, friends, of what you are facing right now, whatever your giant is, whether it is financial, whether it is health, whether it is relational, whether it is a promise that has not been fulfilled or a question that has not been answered. I don't want to make small of it. That is not my, that is not my intention this morning. But I want to frame what you're, what you're facing in the context of the cross and what Jesus has already done. The Lord will conquer Jesus at the cross. We're going to look at that. Colossians 2 has already conquered. And so we get in our lives to cull and to slay all these things off the back of knowing that it's already been done. So what is the key understanding? Well, let's read this quickly. Colossians 2, verse 11 to 15. Colossians 2, verse 11 to 15. It says, When you come to Christ, you were circumcised, not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. For you were buried with Christ. Hear this, church. You were buried with Christ. When you were baptized... And with him you have been raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. You were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. Not only was he successful, not only did he bring about victory, not only did Jesus at the cross conquer, but look what he did further. It says, in this way he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Other versions say that he, where's my notes here? He disarmed. He stripped. So can you imagine, friends, here's Goliath. No, actually, don't imagine. <laughs> because it might become a bit dangerous. Not his clothes. Now, that's not what I'm talking about, okay? But here's David coming to fight Goliath. And Goliath is standing there seemingly armed. But the gospel tells us he's unarmed. He's disarmed. He's been stripped. So that spear that, that is, I don't know, three meters tall and weighs like 200 kgs, and that shield, friends, figment. 
Because at the cross, Jesus conquered. But not only did he conquer, the giants that you and I are facing, he disarmed them. He stripped them of their weapons. They are weaponless. Weaponless. What is the key understanding here? Knowing the outcome beforehand changes everything. Knowing the outcome beforehand changes everything. Let me use yesterday's example. If the Springboks knew beforehand that they were going to win yesterday's game, which was a minor miracle that they did, if the Springboks knew beforehand that they were going to win yesterday's game, do you think they would have played any differently? Understand the question. The result of the game, written already, newspaper headlines, Springboks win 31-29. If they knew that they were going to win yesterday's game, do you think they would have played any differently? Obvious question is yes. Obvious question is yes. Because if you are a Springbok supporter like me, it changes everything. Their focus and their approach would have been not to worry about whether they would lose. Hear this. Their focus and their attention would not be to worry about whether they would lose, but by how far can they win? By how far can they win? It changes everything, friends. It changes the way they prepare in the week, how they plan, how they strategize, how they prepare. It changes their mindset, their approach. It changes the conversation. It's not, now, it's not all of a sudden, Ish, I hope we don't lose. You know what? I hope we don't get that 79th minute penalty against us again and it gets snatched away from us. But rather the narrative, I believe, is what are you going to do to take us even further? What are you going to do to put more points on the board? And don't be, don't be inhibited because the result is already there. We've won. So go and express yourself. Go and express yourself. Go and take opportunities. It changes everything, friends. Once again, I tension that and say that I'm not saying the giant that you're facing is small. Giants are giants. But what I am saying or what I am asking is reframe the giant you're facing in the context of the cross. Colossians 2, you've been raised with Christ. You are in Christ. Not only are you, not only are you in Christ, but you are, he is disarmed being the giant. It definitely is a reframing moment. Wow. Got to the end of time, and I haven't even answered the last one. How do we make this practical? Well, let's, let's go through this quickly in two or three minutes. We need to understand, friends, that Jesus is not caught by surprise. John 6, verse 5 to 6, Jesus feeds the 5,000. That's what that picture... Okay, it's gone. Je Jesus feeds the 5,000. It's there somewhere. Jesus turns to Philip. He says, how are we going to feed all these people? 
Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. Turning to Philip, he said, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? He was testing Philip, for already he knew what it is that he was going to do. Jesus is not caught by surprise, friends, when it comes to the impossible. I feel I need to give this to you guys. Jesus is not caught by surprise when it comes to the impossible, friends. John 6, 28, reading on from in the book of John 6, Jesus was asked this question, we want to perform God's works too, what should we do? Jesus told them, this is the only work that God wants from you, not to fight the giant, not to go in, in, in with a weapon that you don't understand. The work of God is this, believe Believe. Believe in Jesus. Believe in the cross. Believe in the finished work of the cross. How do we make this practical? I put down here initially faith, and then I thought, no, faith in action. Faith in action. Romans 10, 17 tells us, so faith comes from hearing. That is, hearing the good news about Jesus Christ. Faith comes from hearing. NRV talks about faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word or the words of Christ. Often, friends, we will read that. Commentators will say the word of Christ. Yes, the word of Christ, but also the words of Christ. Faith comes from what did Jesus say in your context. And that thing that Jesus said should build faith in your life. Hebrews 11, you've heard about basketball, the Hall of Fame. This is the Faith Hall of Fame, friends. Go and read it. It speaks about all these incredible men and women of God who not only had faith but did something with their faith. And then finally, won't you stand? How do we make this practical? Absolute surrender brings absolute power. Absolute surrender brings absolute power, friends. James, James 4 verse 7. James writing, he encourages us. He says, he says, humble yourself under God's mighty word. Humble yourself. It says, and the devil will flee. But just before it says, humble yourself, it says, submit yourself. Surrender. Absolute surrender brings ultimate, absolute power, friends. Humble yourself under God's mighty word. Submit and humble yourself under God's mighty word. It says, he will raise you up. He will raise you up. And so, Father, I thank you this morning, Lord. That, Father, you see the giant. But on the other side of the giant, Father, you see the opportunity. And I thank you that your journey with us 
through the Word and through the Holy Spirit is to not take us around giants, not to circumvent, but to go through giants. And on the other side of that victory is your promise and your opportunity for us, Lord. And so I pray this morning, Lord, for every single one of us that are facing impossible situations, whether they are real, physical, or even if they are internal, Father. I thank you, Jesus, that at the cross you overcame. And I pray, would you lead us to victory? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Wonderful friends, thank you so much for coming out. Thank you so much for coming out. Thank